You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Sometimes I have a lot of fun doing my job. Most people think it's all the time, but sometimes you really do. So in anticipation for this podcast, I got to look at a lot of videos of beautiful experiences of dining and sharing a meal and, you know, kind of feeling a little sentimental and hopeful for what will be. So my guest today is Barry McGowan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Fogo de Chon, which is a Brazilian steakhouse. And it's very focused on the experience of dining and the dining and the sharing of a culture. So we're going to talk a little bit about what they're doing and their expansion plans and the experience of dining and the, you know, the comeback of all of that, that we're all looking so forward to. So welcome, Barry. You've been in the restaurant industry your whole career. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to Fogo. Barbara, thank you very much for having me on today. And I'm glad you enjoy what you do. We enjoy uh, what we do as well, obviously, in this incredible industry. And I know all of us have been through uh, just a, just a unprecedented time. And it's, uh, it's exciting to start to see beyond the pandemic into what's possible. But I would say what you described earlier, that feeling, that, that, that connection that you're talking about, those videos, you know, I think all of us in the industry remember when we're closed and what it felt like not to have that. And this is what I feel very strongly about before I get into my history. But look, the journey back to joy, I always, I phrase with my team in March, uh, remember uh, hospitality is about delivering joy. Um, nobody lives in fear. I would like to say we don't like to, but Lisa Miller, who has some great research, I'll have Kate send you the information. You look it up on LinkedIn, but she has a great uh, consumer segment study about the psyche of the consumer. But her thesis was, look, people want to go out and live and be normal, you know, normal, normalcy for people is what everybody's craving. And just everything you explained on that video, as you're doing, I was visualizing the same thing, uh, looking forward and seeing our restaurants start to open up completely and seeing our communities uh, come alive again with people socializing, having fun, being with friends and family and being in a dining room. Well, all of Lisa's research, it's exactly what she points to is that look, the highest, most pent up demand to feel normal is dining at a restaurant. The second is going out and shopping. So it just goes back to the norms or what people are looking for. And I'm confident with the uh, opening up of markets, the, um, the vaccination, we're all feel very confident that we're going to come beyond it. And I always remind my team, every pandemic ends. Now, this has been dreadful. We've all had to do stuff that we couldn't imagine we had to do. But this brand at Fogo de Chon, we focused on joy. Uh, with our team members. We focus on delivering joy to our community. And when we were closed, we just wanted to feed people. We did what was natural. And then, of course, you know, we couldn't wait for our doors to open. And uh, even before then, first time in 40 years, we developed off-premise. Uh, everybody else had it. We've never done it because we're an experiential dining concept. But we knew we needed to keep as many team members employed during the pandemic. So we created the butchery off-premise donated 10% of all the sales to No Kid Hungry because we knew 
more people were being impacted, not just us. We saw it in our community. We fed our team members every day. We had them bring food to their uh, neighbors if they needed food. So all that just, you know, basically helped us fight back to what we knew we could do. And that was to serve others. So all that leads to, uh, I'm sorry, that's a long intro, but boy, when you said that video, it just gave me goosebumps because look, our journey back to joy is right in front of us and the consumer wants us to be there. Uh, we've all lived through the pandemic. We want to go beyond it now. We want to get back to life and the things that matter most. And what I love about that inner intersection of all that is, uh, is enjoying company, enjoying friends, family. And there's nothing like that than being in a great restaurant where there's a lot of hospitality and a way you can go out and discover, enjoy the people you're with. So that's, uh, thanks for that. And I guess my background, you know, the question, you know, I've been in the business my whole life and uh, I love hospitality. I grew up in the kitchen and my first time to America, I, I, uh, worked for McDonald's and I loved every bit of it. I learned so much from the owner operator. I learned everything about the business and still to this day, it's one of my favorite places to go. I still love McDonald's. I love Chick-fil-A. I love fast food, but I grew up serving people. Um, and then growing up, going to college, uh, you know, basically manage uh, or study in hotel restaurant management was really fortunate to work with a great little company at the time called Chili's. But the uh, founding guy there was Norman Brinker trying to grow that. And I just was fortunate to work with really good hospitality people and a really strong culture with Doug Brooks, you know, Norman Brinker. Todd Dean are some really stalwarts in the industry and just grew up under some incredible people who cared a lot about people who poured into us, but also we worked harder than I've ever worked in my life just to make things happen. And to be honest with just fortunate growing up in the industry at the right time, meeting a lot of great people, got to open restaurants everywhere. But my passion was always cooking, culinary and hospitality. And long story short, I just, you know, did quite a few things, but went to the UK uh, stayed there on behalf of Brinker uh, to run restaurants, uh, got into some hotels and other things, and uh, came back to America, set up my own company, worked with Brinker on franchising groups in the Pacific Northwest, love that. And then eventually, you know, just stayed in this uh, realm. But I tell you one thing, uh, I crossed paths with private equity, worked with them on several fronts, but came across Foga de Chon after only dining with them once, probably seven years prior. And met Larry Johnson, CEO, and I tell you, I told him I would just bartend for him uh, if he just let me work for him because I love the concept, the idea, the really often the authenticity of the brand. And he was building a team. And uh, long story short, I joined him, and uh, we started innovating right away, taking this back then thirty-five year idea that never served an appetizer, didn't serve wine by the glass, uh, but all they did was please people. Uh, they all sport spoke Portuguese, Selma, the Selma Aviedo, who is the, who, who is the matriarch. She's still here. She was the first GM here in Dallas, first restaurant, um, here. Um, we just started moving forward, uh, long story short. It's, uh, a long story I'll get into later when you ask questions about the concept, but it's, uh, it's an incredible story, uh, that's rooted in the fundamental idea of, you know, when you dine, the most important moment in dining is the anticipation of that first bite. And, you know, once you take that first bite, you're rewarded. And a folk has shown that anticipation reward is done all the time. So you're always satisfied. There's always a way to discover more and try things because it's all included. It's all immediate. And so that joyful part of dining gets to be repeated frequently within this really authentic churrascaria from Brazil. 
And I always love the fact to remind people that we actually are from Brazil growing in America. It's not an American idea. It's a style of dining. It's a culinary uh, heritage that's been brought up from the southern part of Brazil. And it's just pridefully done. Uh, we've got a lot of skilled chefs that have been with us for you know, 20, 25 years. We've got some people have been with us over 30 years that have a real passion to share the food, uh, the language, and tell the stories. And this is part of this romantic piece of uh, Fogo de Chão that we just continue to innovate, continue to make it more relevant, and continue to grow it. And uh, it's exciting. So I'm, I'm never going to retire, Barb. I'm going to be like you. I'm going to be always uh, uh, excited about the industry and what can happen. And I'll say this to you, Barb, just to your opening comment. I tell people that, look, we've been through the worst, and those of us make it through just go back to the health of our business. But I think if anything we've learned, Barb, is that the most important things uh, to a consumer are, you know, what they love about you already. And they're going to come back to that. So the pent-up demand's there. We feel very good about it. And our industry's going to bounce back. Unfortunately, we're going to have uh, rationalization. Some people won't make it. But I would say the consumer is going to come out this in a stronger position. And those of us that continue to adapt to the consumer needs will continue to play a very big part in our communities uh, within uh, industry. And we have a very important place to play in society. So I'm, I'm more confident than ever we're going to come out stronger. So prior to the pandemic, can you, you know, walk me through what a guest would expect walking through the door? You bet. So, you know, Prior to the pandemic, I'll back up seven years ago uh, and before, it was really a Shrosky model. It was really, you know, you know, one price, lunch, dinner. Most of some of them aren't even open lunch. So prior to the pandemic, we worked a lot on innovation to create day parts. We introduced seafood. We introduced Brazilian brunch. We opened up on a Saturday, Sunday, introduced Brazilian brunch with incredible cocktails, really strong market table presence with omelets. So just making it more experiential, layering it more on the day part. And then we, you know, really reformulated our model to be more uh, South American in nature from where we're from, really celebrating South American wines and uh, beers and cocktails and really giving people even more of the Latin American experience. So pre-pandemic, we'd finished six years of positive, positive traffic. Uh, we were positive for the last uh two to three years, over 3%, uh, all based off traffic. So that goes back to our occasions, uh, how people used us. We opened up all day happy hour. We had seller select, half price uh, South American wine. So people are coming and discovering more at Fogo. And remember, we're also opening restaurants, so our awareness was growing at the same time. And this is where our traffic was growing. But the exciting thing that's happened pre-pandemic is just how our demographic continues to grow stronger and our demographic is not like uh, a lot of people think steakhouse. We're completely opposite of a steakhouse. Our demographic is 80% millennial and Z, completely opposite of a steakhouse. We are 42% female. We're more ethnic. Our consumers are more ethnic in nature. And uh, we have 16% family use. So we're really this broad international experience uh, from Latin America rooted in authenticity. And so it's just, you know, we were really, uh, really on a great stride. We had, uh, we had seven restaurants in the pipeline. Uh, we're building more. We had some future we're already looking beyond uh, last year, the pandemic. Of course, pandemic hit and everybody, you know, had to do what they had to, to, to you know, position self to, to recover and, and make it through. And now we're, we're able to do that. But all 
based off everything our team did incredibly well and how they pivoted so fast and, you know, paid attention to the most important things, our team members, our community. And now, Barbara, we're just now focusing on getting back to growth. We've announced the openings. Uh, we are fully staffed. We furloughed, like everybody, we furloughed 2,900 people. That gut-wrenching moment when we did, you know, right after the pandemic. Remember, all leading up to the pandemic, we had growth, really seasonal growth, all organic growth based off traffic. Uh, six years running and all the innovation that we were doing was paying off. The consumers were experiencing more, discovering more, uh, asking more. So it's been, it was really very fun for the last seven years leading up to pandemic. The pandemic, you know, you know, changed that as you know. So how did the brand pivot during the pandemic? Um, as you mentioned, you're, you know, you transitioned to offering delivery and takeout for the first time in 40 years. So how did you do that and how did it go? You bet. Well, you know, when it happens, you know, we were all, you know, like everybody acting in the moment and real quick, you know, everybody was looking for what's the answer. We got on WhatsApp and I said, look, do the very best you can. You're local, but, you know, take care of the fundamentals first. Take care of the people, call your vendors, talk to your, your team, tell them what we can do. And we just basically, we decentralized quickly. We trusted our operators to do what they knew how to do best. We only said, remember, uh, there's fear. Focus on making sure people were comfortable, making sure that we did our part to help them. And our team just did a tremendous, tremendous job. At the same time, we said, look, we got to create a revenue channel. The only thing we can do is to go. So we put uh, a simple product list together. We said, look, sell whatever anybody's willing to have. You know, everybody sold grocery boxes. We put meal kits together. Caprahina kits, we were selling butchered meat, and that's where the butchery was launched. But in three days, we had to go. And I have to say, we didn't have a standard package or anything. We just got package off the shelf, whatever the vendor had, we put together, we put them in bags and put food together quickly. We created a hotline to feed our employees uh, throughout the day. If they needed a meal, they came in, they got a meal. Uh, and then we, uh, we contracted with all the third-party deliverers, and we jumped on and started delivering food. And we, we also, like we said, we attached, you know, any consumer that got a 10% of their sale would go to No Kid Hungry because everybody was really aware that how it was impacting everybody, uh, those that were most vulnerable. And No Kid Hungry did a tremendous job all through this pandemic. And we were you know, really pleased to, um, to uh, support their efforts throughout that, that thing. But the, I'll say the bigger part of the pivot that was the natural pivot for us. It was just unique because we'd never done it before. And our team, again, overcame every obstacle, logistical, everything, supply chain disruption, everything to make it happen. Um, and uh, out of nowhere, we created this revenue. Then from there, we really uh, zeroed in on the butchery as that's our core attribute. We've been butchering for 40 years. So we started butchering meat, packaging it up and selling, you know, you know, bags of meat to people who needed steak. So however they cut it, we butchered to their, their liking or just sold what we had. And then we started doing videos on how to cook at home, how to show Hosco. So all those were fun, highly engaging with the consumer. And it was just heartwarming how the community came up and supported our efforts, not only because we're supporting No Kid Hungry, because the community knew that our, you know, our people needed the revenue and we were keeping people employed for those reasons. So all that was, was huge. But I would say the biggest thing we pivoted that, I felt probably the most proud of, and I would say this to you, Barb, probably paid off the most. 
like everybody, we were burning cash, burning a lot of cash. We talked to our vendors, our partners, uh, everyone on the team took a pay cut. Everybody sacrificed collectively to manage through everyone. Again, speaking to the strength of you know the community and everybody who lived through this um, and how everybody collectively worked together. But we, we made a decision. I told the team that, look, uh, we're not going to take things away. As we start to reopen, we opened at 25%. We had to follow all the mandates. We still do today. And even though mandates are lifting, we still think it's important all the way through till this pandemic ends. But we leaned into innovation. We introduced Wagyu strip steak, Wagyu ribeye. And then we launched the all-day happy hour whenever our dining rooms are open. And by the way, in California... We were serving people in parking lots, on street sidewalks. We were so wherever we could serve, we were serving them more. We leaned into indulgence. We leaned into experience, and our focus was let's deliver joy. Let's give them something that you can't get when you get a package at home. People were were, were yearning. Those that were comfortable to venture forth wanted more than just a box meal. They were getting that every day, in every way. So I would say the biggest pivot we did was we went upstream and focused more on hospitality. We added more labor back, cost us more money, and burned more capital. But we focused on giving more service, more hospitality, uh, whether it was in a tent, a parking lot, or in a section of a restaurant that we could sit. And that's why we climbed out fast. We hit a peak at, in October of before the pullbacks happened, uh, about 92% of sales of 2019 revenue. Remember... To go was relatively new to us. Still, we still have lower awareness than others, but we're doing about three to five percent to go, probably averaging four. By December, when it, the lockdown's happening, we're doing about ten percent go to go, being relatively new. Our peers were doing upwards of forty percent to go, so it impacted us severely. But when we were able to open, and what we did to offset to keep our employees employed, we put four tents out in front of. Rosemont working with the mayor, working with the landlord in the city, four tents, uh, heat piped in, open panels, blankets, festive music, and we kept our whole staff employed in tents outside. So all those things the team pivoted to to serve and deliver joy all through the holidays with however we were able to do it. So I'd say we had a lot of competitors we go to. We also heard a lot of competitors tell us, or a lot of consumers tell us that they were tired of COVID service. Meaning you go somewhere, they had less product, they're paying the same price, but everything seemed because due to COVID, you couldn't get this. Due to COVID, you couldn't do this or due to COVID. So all that people were, after a while, got a little tired of it. And what our biggest compliment was, and our team talks about it, was at Fogo, they said, boy, we love coming back to what you have. In fact, they really pressed us on some of the things that they felt like we should open up even though we couldn't because of restrictions. So we just managed around that and, you know, served the market table to the plate. We gave them all these extra, you know, things we could serve so they would get the same idea of uh, anticipation reward more frequently, even though we couldn't have the market table open. So the team did a tremendous job. So the innovation pulling through that was just really uh, elevated our next level platform. Uh, because remember, we have a fixed price. So anything in addition is added on. So, you know, people are adding on Wagyu steak for $129 for a 24-ounce strip steak. It's a grade 8 Wagyu. For the last five, six months of the year, through the pandemic, we sold 7.8 tons of Wagyu. 
just shows you how much people wanted to experience more even during COVID. So I would say that's probably the biggest pivot and the learning that we had was again, lean into what you're really good, lean into what consumers want and they want joy. So if you offer it, uh, they'll indulge and go upstream. Uh, when they do, uh, or when they are comfortable to venture forth, they, they want service, they want hospitality. And that's where our brand is obviously, it's what we've done for 40 years. That's what we'll continue to do. We'll just continue innovating more for more discoveries as we go forward. Now, one of the other things that you did was put in place um, 12 safety promises. So can you discuss what that is and, and you know, why you felt that that was important right now for, for your audience? You bet. So that's still going to be important because we, you know, I would say this right when the pandemic happened, they were the same CDC standards. We just defined them in very clear promises to our guests about social distancing, about hand sanitizing, us wearing masks, front of the house, back of the house. You know, we already, our restaurant industry has always been healthy and safe. And I'll say this, I, I reminded everybody, look, pre-pandemic, our industry has very high standards of health and safety. We have to, or you won't be in business. So that was just now we just uh, adapted to those standards that were uh, even more elevated around, uh, around the virus mitigation. So everything from employees, you know, being checked, temperature checks to, you know, the promises of, you know, everything being sanitized frequently. And I feel like those promises are now operating standard. Look, those are just uh, enhancements to what we've always done. Because in hospitality, you know, making somebody sh making sure somebody's comfortable, feel good, and safe is all part of it. <laughs> Just like a pilot can't fly if he, if he doesn't feel like it's safe. Going into restaurants the same way. But our twelve promises really were the additional CDC and restaurant industry standards that we outlined as an industry to say these are our promises to make sure that you know that we're doing our part to keep you safe, keep our team members safe, and ensure that we're doing our part in our community to keep you know risks low for those who are most vulnerable. So those are still in place. I know we've been asked a lot about, you know, the states changing. We're still maintaining those. You know, we can't mandate, you know, somebody, but we're going to require to wear a mask. Well, just like we're doing today while you're walking in the dining room, when you sit down, you're able to take your mask off. We'll still keep the social distancing part. We'll continue to make sure that everyone's comfortable. And we're going to keep our outside dining going. That was a big pivot for us because normally we didn't do outside dining. Now we do. Now it's an extension of how we dine and we've created a whole new patio dining platform that we hadn't had either. And that, again, there's still the 40% of the, the cohort of consumer that is, that are very anxious. And again, this is in Lisa Miller's research, uh, because they're anxious. Look, we want to deliver joy, but we want to do it safely. And we want to make sure those that are comfortable or not as comfortable coming out, that we make sure and address their needs. So we continue to let everybody get back to normal over time. And of course, with the vaccine rolling out, we're hoping that sooner than later, but uh, you know, we, we can't go beyond uh, the pandemic. We gotta let this run its course and we'll do our part to make sure everyone's safe. And that's our commitment to the 12 promises. You know, I would, in my mindset, I guess, you know, I'm feeling that pent up demand. You know, I want to go out, I want to socialize with friends and, a restaurant like Fogo de Chon is perfect for that. You know, you it's it's the ultimate social experience with friends and the and the joy that talk you know that you're talking about. There's something magic about about it. Do you think that that experience is going to change? You know, for the for the person walking in the door. And do you also think you're really well positioned because 
people are going to want to do this. Yeah. I think, Barbara, I think you hit it. Look, I think the biggest pull forward or adaptation of new platforms is going to be off-premise. You know, now convenience is now at the forefront. You know, you've got everybody doing ghost kitchens. You have every platform delivering food. You can get anything you want delivered to you now, even a, a bottle of wine, some aged cheese, and a Starbucks, all from three different vendors delivered to your door. So whatever you want now, so the convenience of, of our consumers today is now at an all-time high. It's extraordinary how quick and how adaptive the, the market shifted to this. And so I think that's, that's where it's going. And by the way, we're on that path pre-pandemic that, look, this just accelerated by probably two or three years. And I would say everybody adapted to it now, the consumers have. So you're going to see the, I would say, the barbell effect of more convenience and then we've always been experiential. I think experiential dining now will become even more important, meaning just going out to eat is a convenience. But if I'm going to go out, it's got to be worth it because I can get whatever I want, wherever I want it more conveniently. And that can be delivered to me. So getting in a car and going to a restaurant, I don't think it's going to be, you know, always about just I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to do this. So I think we're well positioned. We've always been experiential. And I would say post-pandemic, we're even in a better position. And what we're leaning into is more innovation, more discoveries, more ways to, to uh, I would say, explore and enjoy uh, for, uh, I would say, a very uh, strong value. And that's where I think the idea, when you think about our demographic, you know, you know, uh, when you think about millennial, they, they want it their way. They want to customize everything. They want to, they want it now. They want something new, different. Well, Fogut has shown we're from Brazil. We speak Portuguese. Our, our restaurants, our, our chefs are primarily from Brazil or Latin America. Uh, the style of dining is unique. And the idea of really customizing in the moment is right there. Every guest sitting at a table gets to have exactly what they want. If not, we just move the plate and give you something more. So in the moment, dining and experiencing more and then making sure that you continue to innovate so that the flavors, the things that continue to come available, even seasonal things like we introduced prickly pear right before the pandemic. And we got so many people talking about it. We introduced grilled cheese, grilled asado with uh, grilled casado. With, it's basically a a great cheese product that we put over the fire and grill it to crispy brown and put malagata honey, which is a spicy honey. And it's like going crazy. But you have that. We introduced the porterhouse steak. It's all included in what you do. So you can try things on the way. And I tell everybody, you can go out and dine and have a steak. This is what I always say is, look, we're our category. If you think about steak, and I always say, this, if you think about steak, we bring in energy and differentiation to a, call it a, a category that is stale. I can get a filet or ribeye at any steakhouse, but when you come to Fogachon, you can have lamb chops, filet, ribeye, picanha, fraginha, grilled cheese. I can go to market table and have really exotic foods. I could have a star fruit, prickly pear. I can have whole superfoods. I can experience things I'd probably never really buy at a grocery store, but I can have it there and kind of discover as I go. And that's where we're going to keep leaning into. Now, with that, our new platforms, our Bar Fogo, All Day Happy Hour, we're doing we, pre-pandemic and all through the pandemic, we're doing live music on weekends. 
And then we have uh, in Coral Gables our first next level lounge in America. We have one in Sao Paulo, Rio, in Sao Paulo, uh, in Jardines, in downtown Sao Paulo. Um, that next level lounge is very indulgent. It's uh, high end scotches, bourbons, and if you'd like to smoke a cigar, you can smoke a cigar in them. And we're also rolling out our first butchery where you can dine, eat, uh, package meats, order food, and uh, take it to go or sit there and have a charcuterie board, nice uh, Latin American wine or South American wine uh, while you're waiting. So those new platforms and those brand extensions will keep coming as we keep innovating forward uh, with this brand. So it's exciting. We've, we're excited about where the consumer wants to be in America. The pandemic has been challenged, but I would say this, it's kind of opened up a whole new world of experience. And I would say it will give us a runway to continue to differentiate from, I would say, our peer group. Who would you say is your peer group? You know, I would say it's a great question. You know, when we ask our guests, uh, where would, where do you dine if you weren't at a Fogo de Chão? I love this question because I'm always fascinated. And this speaks to our demographic. So uh, they say uh, Majanos, uh, uh, Cheesecake, or Ruth Chris. So it just shows you it's very broadly appealing. Uh, in Brazil, we're from Brazil, well, we did the same thing, uh, Outback Steakhouse. So our consumer is more casual or casual plus, uh, very young, very ethnic, uh, more, uh, more similar to a casual dining restaurant. So you think about our positioning, we're a casual plus positioning. We call it approachable fine or, uh, you know, uh, approachable fine dining or, or affordable luxury, if you would. Because remember, we have this elevated experience, full service. Our chefs serve you. We have back servers, front servers. And, you know, we, uh, you know, for a price of a filet in a steakhouse, you could have filet, ribeye, lamb chop, plus all the market table. So the value is very strong. And I think really why we draw the demographic and the appeal is that it's an occasion that's different than a Ruth Chris. It's different than a cheesecake. Uh, but we have the same amount of SKUs as a cheesecake factory, but we just don't put it in a menu and we don't make it comp complicated. We make it really simple and easy to understand. And we let the chess, the guests choose in the moment. Remember our concept is immediate. Right when you walk in, you can start enjoying whatever you like. If you want to come for lunch, I'm a, you know, I tend to eat lunch very light. I'm a healthy eater. I've also got some dietary things I got to watch. So it's very customizable. I'll have lunch for $15 and eat my market table. I'll smoke salmon for chulo. I have my beets and all the, the whole superfoods that I like for me. And I'll have some hot feshwada, which is rice and uh, black bean stew, traditional black bean stew. And I'm satisfied. I'm in, out, I'm in and out in 20 minutes for lunch and I had everything I needed. Uh, but I go back at lunch sometimes when I'm really craving something. I'll say, hey, I'll just have a little bit of fraugina uh, with the market table. So I just plus that up with $6. So it's very affordable, very customizable, and I can use it for whatever occasion I need. Now, what I really enjoy is meeting friends in Bar Fogo, and I'll have Wagyu and wine. It's my favorite thing to do with friends, meet them in Fogo de Chon, Bar Fogo. And I'll say, let's order a tomahawk and, a, and a, some Wagyu, and we'll order a really nice bottle of wine. We'll sit there and really enjoy <laughs> and indulge in a very casual way and still have an experience that it customized the way we want it. So. So you're signing new leases and you're kind of ramping up for global growth. Um, 
Why do you think now is the time to do this? Well, pre-pandemic, we were already on that path. We've been with Roan Capital for three years. We went private. Roan Capital has just been a tremendous partner of ours. We've just, you know, we learned some things being public. We're still public ready. We have that mentality. We just went early and we had all these new platforms going at one time. And it was just noisy and lumpy. So when we went private, we sat down with Roan and they worked with us. We put an independent board together and we really dug deep on our algorithm, our investment of our concept, our strategy and our innovation. And so leading up to pandemic, all those things are now in play and we're accelerating everything that we put in place for our last new restaurants met the criteria. The restaurants were performing well above plan and we're hitting our stride. So really the pandemic really just kind of slowed us down and put a pause and I would say just great relationship with our current landlords we're able to work with. The landlords that we had leases already signed or preliminary LOI signed, we just sat down and reworked those with them. And we just basically turned those back on. So we're picking up where we left off and we have the confidence that right where we are today, last week we finished, you know, the last four weeks continue to grow, but we were about 98% of sales last week to 2019. So we're already ramping back. Now, we know there's going to be lumpiness. We know there could be another pullback. Potentially, we don't know. Markets are opening up. So we know this year is going to be challenging. But by the vaccine, the second half of the year, our board of directors, Rome Capital and management feel very confident that we're well positioned just to lean back into where we were and get back to our growth algorithm and continue to penetrate our brand strategy. But remember, uh, Barbara, we only have 43 restaurants in America, but we're from coast to coast, from New York to Beverly Hills, LA, to Kansas City, to Dallas, Houston, Miami. We're Chicago. We're kind of already coast to coast. So we've been here 22 two years. We're a proven entity. We're just small. So now we're just starting the brand penetration piece and that we feel like we can move to a 20% growth algorithm with discipline and continue to build our brand and serve guests in every community we have. Our biggest obstacle right now, Barb, Barbara, is that we, uh, we're not convenient. We have one in every major city. We need to now build out the market so that we're more convenient and capture more of that dem demographic that wants us to be there so bad. We're going to continue to differ differentiate through our innovation, continue to differentiate in our design. I know you've seen some of our stuff with Oak Brook, Illinois. We call it our jewelry box design. We've got some really uh, beautiful uh, flagship restaurant, Coral Gables, with the Next Level Lounge and the butchery. And we're going to keep, you know, designing sites to, to the community we're in and continue to innovate and um, uh, grow our brand. Uh, we've been here for 40 years. I would say with Roan and our team, we're focused on the next four years of creating just a incredible global brand. And I want to just say this too. We've got two restaurants signed up in Mexico City. We opened one during the pandemic. So, you know, we had four partners we were about to sign internationally pre-pandemic. Those partners are still working with us. We've got more interest. So we think about America Corporately, we're going to open, you know, we think in the next 25, 30 years, we can open 300 restaurants total in America. That's by looking at today's standards. And then we think in, in the U.S. and every major capital city of the world, internationally, we think we can open another 300 over the next you know, 20 to 25 years as well. So that franchise model is what we're using internationally. We're still going to be developing Brazil ourselves. So we're excited. We're from Brazil. We'll grow from Brazil to America. And then we're partnering with really good operators 
to help us get better and to help us build our brand. But we're thinking about the next 40 years is, I guess, what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of, I guess, the regions, you're kind of looking to branch out from the existing spaces um, as opposed to, you know, targeting specific markets? You know, I think this is what's interesting. We, you know, we're already in every, you know, 26 major capital markets, uh, DMAs in America. You know, I'd say the next five years, we don't see us pioneering going to too many new markets. We're just now going deeper. Um, you know, we've got, you know, for instance, Chicago. We've had one downtown Chicago, great performing restaurant. We opened Rosebond, we opened Naperville, and now we're opening Oak Brook and eventually Skokie. So that's just such a tremendous market for us. We're not going to over-penetrate those markets. And I go back to like the greater LA market, metro area. There's, I think, 22 cheesecakes doing a tremendous job. I think over 12 million. It's their home home market. You know, we want to build six or seven in the LA market. So we still have a lot of growth and a lot more penetration to do and leveraging the markets we know and spilling into new markets where it makes sense. So what do you look for in an actual site? You know, I would say for us, it's about, you know, because we're small and I think it's always the best strategy. We're like Plano, Texas. We're right next to some of the best operators in all of Texas. We're next to Legacy Food Hall, uh, the Double Eagle, Del Frisco's Double Eagle, Haywire. Uh, We've got Fleming's across the street. We've got um, Capital Grill. This is just where all the best operators, the best food experiences you could be. So with all humility, we want to be around really the best operators, the best co-tenancy, and really humbly play our part. We're just a different occasion. We complement dining in a different way. And uh, we, we see that's how we're going to fit as we continue to continue to develop and continue to drive traffic to those, uh, what I call those gravity points where people already enjoy going. We just want to fit in and kind of be part of the mix. And I would say be an occasion that would drive them there more frequently. And that's how we see we partner with other great co-tenants. So what makes the brand franchisable? Well, really, I think for us internationally, the brand is very well known internationally. We just can't do both. You know, we're still a small team, uh, again, limited capital. So we're going to find strategic partners that are great operators that know their markets locally. What makes it franchisable is our operating model internationally is, is, I would say, more even domestically. It's just simpler. It's a more effective and efficient operating model. It's more customizable than other franchise groups. So a great operator would see our operating model, our volumes, our segment of the market where we fit and see that it's it's got a unique, authentic positioning and our margins are better. So on a franchise basis, their return on capital will be higher, just like our returns on capital are higher here in America. So mainly because we operate high volumes in a place that we just take less bodies to do it. So our overall labor and cost of sales model are just more efficient than somebody in our category charging this price. Uh, It's a very international uh, menu, very adaptable and very customizable from vegan to proteins to, you know, any diet that you'd like or any type of um, food that you need to eat regionally and you customize it all according to the market. Um, So that's, uh, that's what I think gives it, uh, a great deal of flexibility for franchising. Last question. What's your outlook for Fogo de Chon and the restaurant industry, you know, in the rest of 2021 and beyond? So 21, look, we're all still climbing out. Uh, we cannot underestimate the wake that this has created in the community. I still think, again, I'm going to brag about No Kid Hungry, 
you know, the team and No Kid Hungry, it serves a huge part of a community. And I think that wake is going to only get bigger because there are people being displaced. There are restaurants that are closing. Some of them are my friends. They're great chef restaurants. They just didn't have the balance sheet or the, the reserve to make it through. You know, they've leveraged everything they could, but it just, it, it just it's decimated part of our industry. Uh, we've got bankruptcies that they'll come out of it with, you know, new, new models. So I would say 21 still going to be lumpy. Uh, but I would say the pent up demand is going to offset that for those that are open. So we're there. And I would say beyond that, the innovation is only going to accelerate from the ghost kitchen to the convenience piece to going forward to, you know, it's got to be worth it to go out and dine. And that's why I would say our industry is only going to get, get better because of it. So I think the future of our industry and hospitality, it's going to become more experiential, more fun. Uh, more, I would say, uh, the value underpinning value proposition of dining out will only get better. And I think that's, uh, I would say, uh, how we'll rebalance our industry. I think for a while we took it for granted. Remember, we had so many restaurants that were growing and we're growing an industry with negative traffic. So we're just taking share from each other. This rationalization that happened during the pandemic is going to be somewhat healthy. It's not fun, but you know, the ones, the concepts that have the wherewithal and the, I would say, the relevance to the consumer will come out of this fine. Uh, the rest will retool and other people come out of it and new things will be developed. So it's an exciting time for our, in our industry. It's going to be remaking it. Uh, technology will be further adapted than ever before. And I would say uh, the fundamentals are still going to be the same. It's got to be worth it. Uh, not just remember something of being expensive, but it's got to be worth it. And it's got to tie back to, you know, authenticity, good for you, experiential. And I would say totally customizable to guests. And uh, you got to be relevant to where the consumer wants you to be. And our industry has always adapted, have always innovated. We're a fix it, do it, adaptive industry. And that's why I love, I, I just, I'm humbled to be part of such great people. So, Barbara, you love this industry. So do I. It, we're going to come through this. And I would say there's a lot of good talent out there. Uh, we're focusing on hiring more talent and we're going to get back to growth and continue to kind of serve our markets and make sure that we continue investing uh, for the next 40 years so that we're relevant uh, and continue to grow our brand globally. I know I said that was the last question, but I thought of something based on just what you said. Um, you know, we didn't really discuss how technology is integrated into the brand. Um, is it integrated so well that it allows you to, to focus on the hospitality? You bet. Well, I think I would say this, we're adapting more, more of our technology. We had never existed. It was all of our uh, third party aggregators and uh, all the technology connecting the outside consumer. We've actually moved a lot of technology on the development side to mobility data so we're really upgrading all of our technology, but in the restaurant we're working, you know, we had, we have uh, pay at the table, we're working or at the table, and we're really connecting the dots to really uh, what I call our own version of uh, internal CRM to learn more about our guests, connecting their, their, uh, uh, their favorites, if you would, their preferences so that we can surprise and delight more and continue to innovate and really engage them more directly. So those things uh, are all accelerating for us. And I know for everybody else, uh, all the other, you know, I would say uh, technology, and I'll say this to everybody, technology isn't going to, it's part of our industry, 
it's going to help what I call third party to go for us at the forefront, still going to be hospitality engagement and that whole emotional connection with the consumer. Now, what we're hoping to do is use technology to emotionally connect and connect that reward back to the dining room, whether we serve you in your office through a full catering event, or we bring our grills to your backyard and we host a private party for you, or you come to our bar and enjoy a great uh, happy hour event and then have your dinner with us in our dining room. So that's where we're connecting all the dots to continue to leverage technology to drive hospitality. Thank you so much.